And we're going to jump into our message today, and we're in the book of Philippians, and we're talking about joy. And we're going to be continuing to talk about what it looks like to find joy in different areas and relationships and things. And so today we're finishing out the third chapter in Philippians. Um, so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to go with verses 15 through 21. So let me read this. So this is Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul, and he says, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what, you have or, what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have, have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Come on, somebody who wants a glorious body, say amen. amen. Yeah, that's right. So I'm going to just kind of talk through this passage. And these first couple of verses, may, they kind of seem a little bit, they really should have been put probably in last week's message. So I'm going to just wrap these up. Um, verse 15, Paul is talking about maturity. And he kind of starts by saying, so, and he talks about maturity. So what he's really saying is, last week, if you weren't here, we talked about having a long-term point of view, to being future-focused. We said we don't need to be stuck in our past. We shouldn't be consumed with our, our present, but we should have a, know that we have a hope, and we're always moving forward towards that hope. He's saying that's a mature mindset that we need to be moving forward. And then he goes on to, to really be, to, in verse 16, he's just encouraging them. Like, we're all going to learn things along the way, and just keep kind of being like, we talked about Cliff Young. Even if all you got is just a little shuffle, just keep shuffling, keep going, keep moving. Um, and you're going to learn things. You're going to maybe disagree on some stuff, but keep moving along the way. So it really kind of wraps up and just a summation of what we talked about last week. And then all of a sudden, it seems to kind of switch gears a little bit in verse 17. And verse 17 leads to our title today. And the title of today's message is a simple statement that we all probably would agree with. But sometimes we don't really walk out. And it's just this. Who you hang with matters. Who you hang with matters. You know, there's an old phrase, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. It's also a proverb. It says, walk with the wise. So Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. So you hang out with wise people, man, you're going to grow wise. You hang out with fools, you might experience some difficulty. There's going to be harm that comes with that. And you know, it's just talking about the, the importance and the power of influence. When you get a group together, they're going to start influencing each other. You get a group together with maybe an interesting idea or a goofy leader, they're going to start influencing each other. Not to pick on guys, um, but when you get a group of guys together and you get a little bit of boredom mixed in, they're going to start to influence each other. And they might make some interesting choices depending on the age. Um, so I got a story to share. A couple weeks ago, we were on a mission trip. And mission trips are good for, for two things. One thing primarily, man, you draw closer to Christ. You do his work. You help people. But you also leave with a bunch of interesting stories. 
And we were there with a group of teenagers, including teenage boys, which always produce interesting stories. So there's one evening, and you'd work all day, and in the evening you'd come together, and there'd be, you know, a chapel time. And that evening I got to speak. And, you know, there's certain times when you, when, if you've ever spoken or if you're, you know, when I've preached and I'm like, okay, that was way more than just me trying to speak scripture. That was the Holy Spirit. And it was just like, it moved. And I was like, ah, that was great. And it felt good. And then afterwards, they'd break off into little groups and I'm, you know, kids are talking and there's crying and there's people praying for each other. I'm like, thank you, God, for using me. But then the, it just... I'm good with that stuff, but then like 20, 30 minutes in of them still kind of crying, like, I've had enough of this. I'm sorry, but my emotion meter was like, I'm done with emotions right now. I need to find something, something different. Where's a different emotion other than kind of the weepy? And I hear a bunch of giggling and laughter. And I'm like, ah, what's going on? And so there was an area where we each day had, you know, spent time eating and having meals. And I walk around the corner and I see a group of teenage boys, and there's one girl. I'm like, and a bunch of razors. I'm like, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? And they're like, well, our friend, their, their friend is showing me his legs that are hairless. And I go, okay. And they go, he just doesn't grow hair on his legs. I'm like, how old are you? He's 18. He doesn't have hair on his legs. I'm like, well, whatever. Some guys just don't have a whole lot of hair. And they said, we want to be like him. So this is the picture I took of them. All of them decided to do this thing. I think they've got a picture. I know they do somewhere. There it is. They all decided to lather up their legs and start shaving their legs. Somebody had an idea with a little bit of influence, mixed in a little bit of boredom, and now you've got seven or eight teenage boys shaving their legs. The one girl starts telling them, you guys are stupid. You're doing this wrong. Apparently there's a right way and a wrong way to shave your legs. You don't go, you don't go up, you go down. I don't know. They were, but I was dying laughing. It was this dumb, funny moment. And I, then the next day, something else happened. So on Thursday, we had, we had built a home. We'd finished the, the house and we had finished it a little bit quicker than we probably needed to. And on Thursdays, you usually what you do is you come together for a celebration um, to pray over the house, to give a gift, and to just really kind of bless the finished product. We had gotten done early. And so we were just now sitting in this house with um, the woman we were going to present it to. And we were just listening to some worship music and hanging out. And I'm hearing a lot of like explosions like fireworks and firecrackers. Then I turned to our interpreter, Pablo, and I asked him, so what's with all the fireworks and firecrackers? And he said, well, it's a Catholic holiday and they're celebrating. I said, can we get some fireworks and firecrackers? I said, this is a celebration. And the rest of the guys that are in there were like, yeah, that's right, this is a celebration. We looked at the homeowner and I said, can we get some fireworks? She said, I don't care. So I looked at Papa. I said, where can we get fireworks, my man? And he goes, follow me. And so we walked to one of the little street corner places. Do you guys have fireworks? Nah. She goes, right next door. They do. And we walked in. I'm like, I don't see any fireworks. So I asked, I go, do you have fireworks? I said, yep, what you need? And I was like, yes, perfect. I'm like, he goes, I go, I don't know. Just give me a strip of firecrackers. It's like 75 cents for that and some matches. And we, we walk out. 
We get to the home. I'm like, what a better way to celebrate a home than to almost blow it up. This is a good idea, right, guys? But a little, an idea, a little bit of influence, and then that led to us lighting off firecrackers, which looked kind of like this. I know they got it. Boom. Yes. Explosions and all kinds of fun. So here's what we, you know, a little bit of influence. If you're young and dumb, will cause you to shave your legs. If you're a real man, you blow stuff up, right? Come on, somebody. But the truth is, who you hang with matters. And influence just spreads. And ideas can cause you to do things that are helpful, harmful, fun, silly. But what we just see is that these things make a difference. Who you hang with matters. Paul's going to talk about this in the first couple verses. Then he's going to talk about the importance of staying away from the wrong influences. And I talk about this a lot, especially with young men. Who you hang with matters. And I can't tell you how often people just ignore this. They get excited. They get a dream. They get an idea, but they don't change their relationships or their friendships. And because of that, that dream or idea just fades because their friendships strangle it out because they didn't support it. Their intentions never become reality. Our future is shaped far less by our dreams and way more by our friends we choose along the way. And whenever I say this and I speak this to people, I tell them, man, your future is shaped way more by your dreams and way less, you know, way, way less by your dreams and way more by the friends that you have. They go, well, so I can't have any friends that aren't Christians. And I say, I did not say that because I don't believe that. I, but I do believe that we need to have different levels of friendships. And the closer and the more centric those friend, that friend group is, those friends need to share values that you want to share. They need to have the same um, lifestyle that you believe you should live. Those are your circle of intimate friends. And you all need to or should have a small group of three to five people that you're influencing each other back and forth. If you're married, one of those is your spouse. That's someone that is there with you that should share those convictions and share those values. And let me tell you something. If you're currently already married to someone who maybe doesn't have the same faith beliefs as you do, I encourage you to obey what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. Stay true to your spouse. Be with them, but pray for them dearly. Pray that God would work on them. Pray for God's grace to move. God is amazing. And I've seen drastic changes in, just, in husbands and wives who prayed for each other and things that were changed. But let me encourage something for you guys that are not married and are single. Let me encourage you with something. Now that you know better, why would you think, well, I'm going to go date someone who's not a Christian? Why would you go do that? That makes zero sense. Why would you go date a non-believer and then just say, you know, I'll just pray for God to fix everything as I'm dating them. That is mocking God. God is not to be mocked. So many people are like, well, I'll, he'll, he'll change. She'll change. Why would you even go down that path? That makes zero sense. Besides, is that a gamble that you want to take? Because in my mind, I'm not, I, and I never encourage anybody, don't start dating people unless you won't think you're going to marry them someday. And if you're going to marry them someday, that means you're probably going to have kids with them someday. And if they don't share the same values as, as you, what's your kid going to be like? 
So that's why who you hang with matters. That's why who you are around matters. That's why you can't just come and hear a sermon. You've got to understand that the people that surround you matter. Sermons, they might inspire you, but your community is what shapes you. And none of this is meant to beat anybody up. It's just a reminder and a wake-up call to what we're about to see Paul speaking to us. That it's important, the people that we allow to be in our lives. Because he starts off in verse 17. And in verse 17, he basically just says to him, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as the model, keep your eyes on others who live as we do. So he wants them, he says, this is our first point today, just follow faithful examples. Faithful examples is what Paul's promoting. He's saying, man, find people. You know, you can follow my example, he's saying, or find people who are following Christ in a similar way, but find faithful examples of people who have a Christ-centered, gospel-focused, spirit-filled life and follow those people. Find people who are putting the needs of others first. Find people who will do anything for the cause of the gospel. He says, and follow their example, because Paul understood something that Jesus understood too. Christianity is not something that's just taught, it's something that's caught. It's caught along the way. Jesus did a lot of teaching, but he did a lot of doing life along the way with his disciples. And along the way is where they actually saw who Jesus was. Along the way is where they saw, man, sometimes Jesus just disappears and goes and prays. That's where they learned some of these different things. That's where they learned stuff. It's that along the way. You need to find some people in your life that you can just do along the way life with. And find them and, and learn from them. Watch them. People that, man, I need to learn how to pray a little bit more. You can read scripture and that's where you need to start. But also go find some people who pray the way that you want to pray. Maybe you're a businessman or a businesswoman and you're like, I want to be the best at this, but I also want to be, do it in a God-honoring way. Find someone, that, try to find someone that does that. Follow those examples. Learn from other faithful followers of Christ. And sometimes you're like, well, I don't know who. I don't have somebody that I know like that. Man, there are all kinds of books and resources of Christian men and women who want to teach about prayer or marriage or generosity, giving, leadership. Learn from those resources as well. And one of the most important ones we can always look to is there are example after example in Scripture things that we can learn from, people that we can learn from. And some of you guys have done Christianity long enough that it's time for you guys to step up and to put yourself out there and to say, okay, I don't know everything, but I know what it looks like to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ and I can pass along those values and those virtues to other people. I can start teaching them and instilling them in others. So I want to encourage all of you, pass along values, virtues, passion, if it's centered on the good news of Jesus. But like I said, man, we can always turn to Scripture and look to, to men and women. Especially in the Old Testament, is filled with men and women that we can learn things from. Not to, we don't want to emulate everything they do, but some of those virtues and character traits that we can learn from and lean into. Failures, successes, mistakes, bravery. One of the ones I was thinking about this week that a lot of times, you know, I'll go to as someone to learn from. And I was thinking about it because Caleb is 
leaving. And Caleb is something that we almost named our son because I love what Caleb stands for in Scripture. There's a lot of strength in this guy named Caleb. And in Joshua chapter 14, I'm going to read this passage. It's just something that's, when I was looking for an example of, man, I was, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling a little down, feeling like I don't know, God, what's the next thing you want from me? I remember reading this. Caleb is now an old man. And he had at one point walked into a land and said, this land belongs to me when he's 40 years old. I'll fight anybody for it, but nobody else. It was just him and Joshua. Everybody else like, now we're scared. It's now 45 years later, and this is what he says. Joshua 14, verse 10 through 12. This is message translation. He says, this is Caleb speaking. He says, now look at me. God has kept me alive as he promised. It's now 45 years since God spoke the word to Moses. Years in which Israel wandered in the wilderness. And here I am today, 85 years old. I'm as strong as a day Moses sent me out. I'm as strong as ever in battle, whether coming or going. So give me this hill country that God promised me. You yourself heard the report that the Anakin were there. They were great with fortified cities. But if God goes with me, I'll drive them out. Just as God said. Can you imagine? Like this 85-year-old guy. He's like, bring it. Let's go. He's like, you know, the grandpa at Thanksgiving. That's like, let's wrestle, teenagers. I'll whoop you. You know, this is Caleb. And sometimes when you're down, when you're frustrated, you have to go to these Bible characters and say, okay, God, give me that kind of passion. And you know why he has that passion? Why he has that faith? Because he trusts in God. And so when you're looking for faithful followers and people to go to, and suddenly just open the pages of Scripture and just learn from those men and women in there of how you can trust God and how you can lean into him in these different ways. And that's what Paul is starting with in verse 17. He's saying, look for faithful followers so that you can feel encouraged. Paul, he then goes on in the next verses, warning them of some people that they don't need to hang with, people that they don't need to be around. In verses 18 and 19, our second point is simple. It's just, it's just avoid the patterns of pretenders. We have to avoid the patterns of pretenders, people that want to maybe distract or pretend it says, I, he tells them, I often tell you this with tears, but many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. And I did a little research. I'm like, who is he talking about? Is he talking about non-believers? That's not really who he's talking about. He's talking about people, it looks like at some point that they've made a profession of faith. So, hey, we're, you know, we're followers, but they don't find ultimate joy. They don't find their source in the cross of Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection, in partnering with him in suffering and serving. Guys, as Christians, our ultimate source of joy needs to be the cross, that the tomb is empty. That is our ultimate source of joy. And these people aren't finding that. And it's, instead, he says they're enemies of the cross. He says their God is their stomach. Their God is their stomach meaning they served lustful appetites. They seek to please themselves. Then he says their glory is their shame. So they show off and they show out and they're excited about things that they should be ashamed of. 
It's kind of like when you win an award and you, you wear it on your neck and you're excited about, look at the thing that I did. They're wearing their, their shame and saying, look at it, I'm, I'm excited about this. They enjoy and celebrate things that they should be uh, offended by, things that God is offended by. We can't follow these kind of examples. They're surrounding us, guys. People that find glory in things that we find shameful. We can't follow the examples of people who put sin on sale and try to make evil acceptable. Guys, do not follow the example of people who put sin on sale and try to make evil acceptable. This is no political stance. This is a biblical stance. We cannot follow these type of examples. It happens over and over. And what we try to do is refashion and repackage things sometimes to try to make sin acceptable. We know that it's pornography, but people want to call it adult entertainment. This is not something that should be entertaining to any adult. It is disgusting, it's vile, and it destroys relationships. You know, we've got a media filled with things that are full of disrespect, disregard for others, um, Laziness is viewed as funny when we watch TikTok and YouTube. Those are things that are all, all throughout Scripture shown as being sinful. And we should not be participating in viewing those types of things as amusing or funny. They're putting their sin on parade and saying, look at us. Guys, that is not something that we need to be taking a part of. And Paul is warning them of that. Here's where we need to get our vision for our life from. It's Scripture. When you get your vision of life from Scripture and submit your whole life to God, you can thrive in abundance over and over again. You can thrive because you're living the way that God intended you to live. Here's what I want us to never forget. We're going to be in heaven way longer than we're going to be here on earth. Are you living that way? Are you living that way? Because a lot of times I know I don't. I become more consumed sometimes with sports and the news and the stock market. And he's saying, don't become so overly obsessed with earthly things that you forget that your true citizenship is in heaven. So one thing we've got to consider, though, is he does say something in here. He says, Paul doesn't just, he says, he doesn't despise them. He says he weeps, he sheds tears for them. We got to know there is no human that is our enemy. People, flesh, blood, heartbeats, those are not our enemy. And if you're not willing to shed tears and pray for somebody, you cannot, don't speak harmful things to people. We are opposed to certain values, certain ways of life, sin that maybe we need to give up. But people are worth praying for and shedding tears for. So if you haven't prayed and shed tears for people that you view as your enemy, you're off scripturally. It's time to pray for those people. It's time to shed tears for them. That's what Paul did. And then he ends in verses 20 and 21. And the last thing is he just says, live out your true citizenship. Live out your true citizenship. And here's what that means. We are not citizens here on earth. We're just passing through with a passport right now. Because our citizenship belongs to a different kingdom. That kingdom is an eternal kingdom that will never end with a king who sits on the throne that will never 
He's not subject to anyone. When Paul said this, he was saying, we have a coming king and his name is Jesus and we need to be waiting because he's coming back someday. And some, somewhere in the church, we've lost speaking that. Jesus is coming back someday. And even if we die before that happens, we are going to spend eternity with the king. And when Paul said this, he was proclaiming Jesus is Lord. And when that was read, that would have been very disruptive to his society because it was saying Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Caesar may have power here on this earth, but Jesus has a power that will never, ever end. You are citizens of a different kingdom. We may be citizens of the United States and thank God, but that is not our ultimate citizenship. Our ultimate citizenship is heaven with a king who is way better than any president, governor, mayor that we could ever want. And we have to keep that focus. And as a church, we need to give the world a glimpse of what's coming in the future. We can show them what the kingdom of heaven is like. I love when people come to a church and when they say, Something feels different here. I don't know. People are just nice and something feels like, praise God. You know why it feels different? Because we ain't from around here. We're from a different place. We belong to a different kingdom. Now don't say that to them first thing because you're going to freak them out. But we need to understand that we have a different set of values that we need to live by and love by. To pray for people, to shed tears for people, to to surround ourselves with the right community. And we can endure anything when we understand Jesus is coming back and we're gospel-centric. And what that means is we truly believe this. God is love. The tomb is empty. And when we keep that perspective, no matter what we go through, when we keep that perspective, God is love. The tomb is empty. That's a forward-focused, heaven-minded type of point of view. So then when you've had a great day, you can say, praise God, I had an awesome day. God is love. The tomb is empty. When you feel like you're stuck, when you feel like you're lost, guess what? God is love. The tomb is empty. When you feel like I'm in a pit, this is the worst. I don't understand how I'm ever going to get out of this. Man, I am so sorry, and that is so rough. But guess what? God is still love. The tomb is still empty. It doesn't change. And it's what can bring us hope. It's what can continue to propel us forward. It's the thing that actually we need to hang with and sit in more than anything else. It's the message of the gospel. God is love. The tomb is empty. Guys, that needs to propel us. It needs to drive us. No matter your spectrum of emotion, no matter where you are in life. Who we hang with matters. Our friends matter. The people we want to make sure we don't keep too close to us matter. Most importantly, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work inside of you because you're hanging out with Jesus Christ and spending time in his word? Because who you hang with matters. And let me tell you, it shows sometimes if we're not spending enough time with God. Because that message of that God loves and that the tomb is empty, it will impact your life. So, praise the Lord. God is love. The tomb is empty. So I want to encourage you guys, passionately pursue greater knowledge of Jesus. Find some cross, find some heavenly examples. Find some, some models. If you don't know any, I'll post some this week 
on some of our social media, just even just some books and resources to say, I don't know where to start. Maybe my, I need some marriage help. I need to know how to evangelize or pray. I'll give you a couple, even just books or videos. Like I may not know a person here yet, but here's a starting point for you. And you've got to start. We all have to start living differently if we truly believe this, that God is love and the tomb is empty. That's going to impact the way that I treat my server today at lunch. That's going to impact the way that I talk to my neighbor. That's going to impact the way that I love my husband. That's going to, I don't have a husband, thank God. That's going to impact the way that I love my kids. All of that. It's going to be impacted if we believe God is love and the tomb is empty. Let's pray.